You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 475, the future for cinemas. Do they have a future? Rolling news with Andrew Neil and hits that weren't hits. That's all coming up after the Blow Monkeys and Time Storm.
What's wrong with wanting everything the same? Asks the wonderful voice of Dr. Robert. If this was a just and fair world, I think that would be number one across the globe. Splendid mm. new single from the Blow Monkeys, Time Storm. Indeed, and nice to see the Blow Monkeys having a renaissance. They played at, at least once, if not more than once, in Hastings in the last year or two. So, uh, so yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I am enjoying this kind of somewhat minor at the time 80s and 90s acts that are that are managing to make a go of it again the second time around i'm i'm all for that for, for sure and he's got such a love brilliant voice mm. lovely yes voice. completely agree so hello and thank you very much for joining us for the latest episode of the parish council it's episode 475 i'm terence stackham and here's a woman who has spent much of her free time this week campaigning to save the job of a football mascot it's Juliet Harris. Absolutely. Well, it was you that broke the terrible news to me during my lunch break on Monday when I was at, at, over at my place of work of poor old Gunnosaurus being consigned to the uh, to the dustbin of history. There seems to have been a, a big outpouring of love for Gunnosaurus, uh, not least uh, um, from our, our favourite cartoonist, David Squires, of whom we're always very fond in The Guardian. But yes, neither Terence nor I support Arsenal Football Club. We support London and rivals to them, yes, don't indeed. we, both of indeed. us? But mm-hmm. yet, Gunnosaurus, what did he do? Gunnosaurus mm, is on twenty-eight chap. grand a year. You know what? What's yeah. what's what's Jerry Gunnosaurus gonna gonna do to uh, to you know help Arsenal through their financial woes of signing a forty-five million pound player? It seems very short-sighted in my view, and uh, I, I I shall miss uh, David Squire's cheery cartoons of uh, Arsene and Gunnosaurus playing chess in that swan. <laughs> On mm. the on the lake in lieu of transfer deadline day, I I really hope I I, I feel that that Gunnosaurus is yet to be extinct. I I think that 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 Gunnosaurus will find will find something to do elsewhere. Apparently Shrek two uh, was it Shrek or Shrek two arrived and visited Gunnosaurus at the Emirates Stadium to invite him to go and uh, go and attend somewhere at some theme oh, park good. somewhere else that were willing to offer Gunnosaurus oh. a job. So I really hope that we see Gunnosaurus either back at Arsenal who ought to make some kind of cringing apology in my view or or gunnosaurus is free to roam elsewhere i'm always willing to accommodate gunnosaurus down here i'm a fan well that was that was sort of rather sad news and i've got in front of me rather rather sad and perhaps startling results mm. of an opinion poll published this week it was carried out on behalf of the society of london theatres and uk mm. theatre group they're called salt s-o-l-t for short and i'm going to come right out with the headline element of this poll yeah. it was published in the stage this week um only 13 percent that's one three percent of mm. people polled said they would go back to venues tomorrow if they opened and it was a massive sample by the way of 119,000 people yeah that's so this a sample is a size big isn't sample. it you can't now, really argue yeah i kind of say this with a heavy heart but it is very hard to see a way forward for cinemas, theatres, and don't hate me, everybody, live music venues. I, I do think this government has been rather hopeless in dealing with mm. the COVID pandemic, but I can't stand shoulder to shoulder with colleagues in the arts who are blaming the government for this crisis in the arts. Jules, if 87% of people surveyed are more than wary of returning to venues, this is one of those cases in life where there is nothing anyone can do and the game is up and particularly for cinemas. 
Yeah, I'm well. It's it's difficult, isn't it? So my local arts house cinema, which is about a five minute walk from me, um, it obviously is reopened with social distancing, and no one's going. Yeah. And and you know, and I've thought about going, and it's difficult, isn't it? I was talking to so my uh, aging pair. I don't think they'd mind me saying that. My aging parents. My dad's older than my mum, but my dad is nearly eighty, and they were going regularly to a lovely cinema out in Rye, which again recently opened, sort of three or four years ago, was refitted and reopened. I've been there lots of times. It's a really, really nice place. More than one screen, nice little bar, you know that sort of thing, and. They used to go, well, literally to the pensioners afternoon every Tuesday and they'd go and see lots of things there. And I was talking to my mum about this the other day and she said, I don't know if we'll ever go to the cinema again. I don't know. I don't know if it will ever be viable again. And then till... Well, I say until, until is a big word to use at the moment. The word that we, that I don't think even I'm ready to use yet, but I think the word that we really should be using is if, it's if rather than until, isn't it? If some sort of overarching solution to overcome this is found, be that a vaccine, be that effective treatments, then you know the problem is is that is that you're 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 battling on two fronts you're battling on social distancing which makes venues so 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 less viable than they were previously and i speak as a trustee of an arts venue who we are looking at what other arts venues are doing and it is it is really difficult the delaware in bexhill have reopened their main auditorium it usually accommodates a thousand they've got some social distance events that can accommodate 105 you know and they and they 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 get arts funding because they're a much bigger venue than the venue that i run and even they are struggling with Mm. funding and 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 you know so that's one prong and the second prong is even with social distancing it is difficult to feel safe, isn't it? Yes. It's difficult to feel yeah. secure. And this this is part of the problem. I mean, I am frustrated. I am frustrated that, well, and I think this is the case with a lot of different, um, a, a lot of different aspects of coronavirus and the hopelessness, as you, that's a good word to use, I think, with which mm-hmm. the, the government has dealt with it. The lack of planning and, and perhaps the lack of, in a way, the lack of acceptance that this wasn't going to go away quickly, not helped by the fact that they just failed at getting track and trace and other mm. systems up and running. That hasn't helped. But the fact of the matter is, is that the arts industry is a huge contributor to the British economy and also to Britain's place in the world, which certain elements of this government seem so obsessed with. And to me, it seems really strange that the money that the arts bring in is perhaps on a par with some of the money that financial services were bringing in in 2008 yet they were that you know there was there was a rush to save them and yet it seems rather short-sighted that that this that there hasn't been I'm not saying that the government can make coronavirus go away you know any quicker than the science can and I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that you know that that venues shouldn't shouldn't adopt social distancing I understand that but really given the even if the government can't see the cultural case for it I'm surprised that this sort of government can't see the economic case for it and that there wasn't a some sort of plan or package of measures thought through if we want these things to survive in any kind of form after 
Oh, you know, if there is an after this is over, but I can understand why people don't want to go back to the cinema. It's difficult. Though having said that, one element of this is, of course, the fact that um, big when it's chicken and egg, isn't it? Have big studios pulled their films because they think that no one's going to want to go the headline that you've just said suggests that is the case or is it the case that people are less inclined to go because there's nothing on i mean i'm not (laughs) saying that i'm i'm not saying that that you know that i want to rush back tomorrow and i'm not saying i mean i think i'm you know i've tried to behave as responsibly as i can not least because of my you know my my family circumstances and, and members having been seriously unwell during lockdown um having said that if James Bond was on in November, December time, I might have, you know, I probably would have gone to see James Bond, particularly if someone had said, well, if you want cinemas to survive, then you're going to have to use them. I would have gone, well, all right, then I'll take my mum to see James Bond and we'll go on a Wednesday afternoon when no one is there. Mm. I probably would have done that, you know, and, and there are certain films that I would have seen. There was a really interesting piece, and I can't remember who wrote it now, So, I'm, but I'm sorry, but there was a piece mm, okay. in The Guardian to do with Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which was the film that was that was the one, wasn't it? The mm. major one that was released at cinemas. And they said that actually it was it was quite a worthy attempt. But because Christopher Nolan's made a typical Christopher Nolan blockbuster, which is really not uncomplicated, is it? It's confused. I've not seen it, but everyone I know that's seen it has come out probably more confused than they went in. And they went in pretty confused, I think. And the film that was meant to save cinema it's rather put people off i think it it, it does mm. make you wonder if the, if the film to t- and this article was saying if the film to tempt people back into cinemas was something like black widow you know a marvel universe film one of the disney films you know they wimped out of putting mulan on at the cinemas they put it as a bolt on for disney plus if there'd been I don't know if it would have been enough to override everybody's safety concerns. So I do, I do completely, I'm not judging people for not going to the cinema. Having said that, you know, I, there are certain, I mean, my local arts house and I had a couple of things that I would like to, and I probably will go along to see, to see something because they are putting on films that are interesting, you know, in, in the absence mm. of any other big films, they're finding some interesting programming. But if there's not very much that's interesting on, I can understand why if you're if you feel iffy about it already, you might not necessarily want to overcome those fears. So it's difficult. I do think the government could have come up with more creative solutions. If not because it cares about the arts, then certainly it it it, it you know cares about the economy and the huge raft of job losses that's been caused. I'm not saying there weren't some arts venues that that didn't have some issues already. I read a really good piece about the South Bank and and, and Royal Festival Hall and some of the issues that have been going on there, which are predating of this time but um yeah it's difficult isn't it it's one of those situations where i don't know what the answer is but i think some things could have been done better but equally uh, you know i feel uneasy about sitting in the cinema and i can understand why the people do yeah i i mean i i feel the game's up for cinema i mean i i'll try and explain why uh briefly I, I mean i feel sad in a way about cinemas the first time most of my generation ever saw the beatles move in color mm. was at the cinema for the movie help and that was a hugely significant moment for me and i think people of my generation mm. cinemas where the they were the only place where you yes. could see anything in color television was still black and white in the uk mm. but then there, there's the thing 
you know, television was still black and white and you watched it on a set the size of a matchbox. But now, or the screens are the size of a matchbox. The mm. set was about uh, <laughs> six foot by eight foot. But cinemas were becoming obsolete anyway. What's what's the point? We all have big flat screen TVs at home. We don't need the cinema experience anymore at home. You don't have strangers meandering about, calling out to their mates, uh, texting or whatever. You can pause a movie at home. You can serve your own food and drink. You can loll on a sofa. I don't think anybody wants to go to the cinema anymore. 87% of people in this survey you know, seem to be the same as me. And I think cinema. Well, hang on. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop back a little bit at that. Yeah. I think the 87% of people might not necessarily not want to go to the cinema ever again. They just might not want to the go right crisis, now, if yeah. you see what I mean. And the other thing I would say... I think some I think cinemas might make a resurgence because I I found when I've seen films previously, and the same way as live music, I think we talked about this in podcasts before. Mm-hmm. There's a communality of experience, and sometimes yeah. it is quite fun to see a funny film in the cinema. I still remember comments that people have shouted out in the cinema and brought the house down. I wonder if some people do miss experiencing things with other people, and in the same way that um that that films make a come that that music that live music may eventually make a comeback i wonder mm. if the cinema might as well just simply because if you are at home and you're working from home people might get bored of using the same screen for everything maybe i mean i i do feel though i think it's there is a difference with theater and and uh, live events like music i just feel cinema to me and i appreciate that you know maybe not everybody agrees and you don't but yes. they feel like sort of like the I don't know, like the penny farthing to today's like Toyota Yaris or something. It feels so out of date and out of time to me. That experience of going to a building, paying to go in and watching something that's recorded that you could watch at home. Now, with live music, of course, and the theatre, that's entirely different Mm. because it's a different experience every time you go. But I don't see really, as as you... I do pick up on the point you say about, you know, maybe some smart... Alec comments or some witty jokes from somebody in the theatre, sorry, cinema, that you can't get if you're sitting and, at and, home and, on and the just, sofa. And uh, not just that, that's just an example of people experiencing, a, a, you know, experiencing an experience together, people sort of sharing in an experience. I wonder if, I wonder if people might miss that. I wonder if might, people might miss each other. Maybe, but then I think the 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 point I think we probably both may feel mm. uh, the same about is that certainly at the moment in the circumstances in which yes. we're living and we don't know how long it's going to go on yes, for. Right. And I think the dilemma for the governments of any country there is how long do you go on supporting mm. the arts in that sense? You know, do you go on uh, paying furlough money? to uh, mm. people for a year two years three years who knows well, quite, well, we don't know as we see no it. absolutely I, d- I do understand it is difficult but having said that um you know it, people did it for the bankers didn't they so so it'll be interesting to see what happens but it, it will certainly be a question mark over what we value won't it but it but in interestingly we it almost feels like the government's kind of giving up on the arts a bit what have we all been consuming at home during lockdown uh, the arts yes so so you know you feel like saying well it, you know if, if in recessions in the past people hadn't maintained the arts we wouldn't have had these snazzy box sets and we'd have nothing to watch on our screen at home would we 
No, but then that's my bicycle, penny farthing bicycle to the Toyota Aris. Well, but it's not though, is it? Because the fact of the matter is, is that is that if the cinema hadn't been supported in the past, you say, oh, you know, there's no films to watch. That we the films that were made through the cinema that the cinema has been supported we've been watching on our screens haven't we so so the fact of the matter is is that the re, is that the, re, the the support for the arts previously has meant that we have all been able to experience these things at home haven't but, we but so for movies is it a great deal of difference in the great scheme of things if a Tom Cruise movie or a Tom Hanks movie goes into a cinema and makes five hundred million at the box office is it very different to charging people 9.99 at home to watch it which is probably less than they would pay at the cinema well, and they still make 500 million well yes well the difference is, is that the shared it, experience bit, yeah absolutely and also loads of people are going to lose their jobs aren't they yes yes and 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 my sympathies to everybody that works at the Sydney World that now doesn't have a job. Absolutely, but how long do you prop them up for? That's the, that is the problem. But you know, I know Rishi uh, Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer mm. here in the United Kingdom this week, has been hugely criticised, and you know, I can see where it's coming from because he said, "Well, people need to retrain." But you know, if in your world. If there wasn't any work as a lawyer, you wouldn't expect the government to say, well, let's go out and murder some people so you've got some well, no, work but for I, I don't, Well, no, but having said that... That's not really a very great comparison, I don't think. I, I, I think it's. I think that's. I think that's not your finest work, Terence. Is my view on that. But um, I, it's difficult, isn't it? But having said that. I, I don't think you can. I think it's comparing apples with oranges a bit because I think, and we could have a deeper discussion about this, that we're not, the arts are something other than a business, aren't they? Which is why I was quite careful to say there were two dimensions to it because the arts enhance all our lives, I think, in ways that we can't quite explain whereas being a lawyer admittedly I now what I'm now a lawyer for people that occasionally check in with my life on this I'm now a lawyer in the public sector so I'm a lawyer in a slightly different context but you know commercial law you know in the private practice sense is a business isn't it but it is purely a I suppose you could argue in most sense it's purely a business I don't know I, I'm it's hot and I'm tired, but I I don't quite feel I I, I don't know I I just I, think I, that, I, I think I, there isn't I an think, easy answer. Is, no, is the, but the I think I think that we will. I think that whenever we occasionally brawl about the BBC, as I always end with those <laughs> with those conversations, we will miss it when it's gone. And I think that that you know I think that that we may live to regrets not having put our arms around the arts for much longer, really. And I think that, that the thing about cinema blockbusters is that the money that you get from the big Tom Cruise film, you know, I'm not a great believer in trickle-down economics, but it does put money into the system to enable more interesting things to be made. Not that I have anything against Tom Cruise. Well, I do no, actually. I but anyway, but yeah, I, 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 I worry about what we are going to lose if we lose that. Coming up next... Andrew Neil and his rolling news. And <laughs> Come back. Don't go anywhere, please. <laughs> That's right. After a lesser well-known track by The Beatles. If you got troubles and you got less troubles than me.
Obsession continues on this mm. podcast, but I thought I'd, I thought I'd dig it's off something, something a little bit unusual. I was I was listening to one of those Apple playlists that it makes for you, and this cropped up on the sort of the Get Up Monday energetic playlist that it's made during lockdown, as if to mm. say, look, you do need to do something now. So this came up. It's taken from the anthology recordings, and the reason that I picked it is. I, I really like it. I think it's a really good song. I wasn't really familiar with it, I must admit, until I'd heard it on the anthology. I thought it was really good. It's always been given a massive kicking by yes. all of people yes. for not being very good. Can I just use this to, to make the comments that I made on Twitter here, which is, I don't understand why this is the thing that gets the smacking when the, the song that was recorded properly in favour of this was the truly dreadful Act Naturally, which I absolutely loathe. That Ringo-style vehicle, I think, is dreadful. This is, this is inoffensive in comparison to me, and I'm sorry, I think this is very wrong compared to other songs by the Beatles. I think I've only ever heard that once before, which was when the anthology series yes. was released. And I don't think I've gone back to it since. But yes, you, you, you make a fair point about the Ringo vehicle <laughs> on each album and act naturally. Um, yes, it's a little bit cringy, isn't it? And perhaps this. I'm, not, I'm uh, really not a fan. It, it's just if you, if you've got day, trouble. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 if, you, if, if 
if you've got trouble is work a day, then that naturally really, really is in my They're view. They're so, gonna put me in the movies. Oh, it's just the whole thing is so cringe. It's between, yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, I I feel bad for agreeing with you on that, given that I am a Bell and Sebastian fan and I am currently wearing a cardigan. But uh, but at naturally is too sweet, <laughs> even for me. I'm a player. Whereas if you got trouble, I think it's a neat little number, really. I don't get why it gets so maligned. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now it's it's not that long ago when a major news when a major news story broke that the TV channels mm. would interrupt the sitcom or the soap opera or whatever, and a stern-faced newsreader would appear on the screen to tell us that something usually awful, by the way, had happened. Yeah. But then came rolling news channels, actually rolling in, as it were, mm. with the advent of satellite and cable television. And at the time, many uh, commentators, I suppose, questioned whether such channels putting out news 20, 24 hours a day would even survive, never mind prosper. Well, here in the UK, we have BBC News and Sky News as 24 ro- rolling uh, news channels. ITV quit. ITV News quit the 24 hour cycle uh, a few years ago now. And um, cable TV and satellite also allows UK viewers, of course, to watch a host of 24-hour news channels from around the world. And I, I enjoy the American ones I get here. I, get, I can watch CNN and NBC on, on, on my package. Now, you may think that these channels would be enough for the market they aim to reach, mm. but there are plans to launch two more of these channels shortly. Rupert Murdoch wants to launch what sounds rather like a UK version of Fox News mm. and Andrew Neil for years, the face of political commentary at the BBC is chairman and leading on air presence of GB News to rival Sky, the BBC and Rupert Murdoch's new venture. Now, Jules, firstly, do you think there's an appetite for these new channels? And secondly, I think perhaps even more importantly, is there scope for enough advertising or sponsorship to support them? Well, probably we could just skip to the second question, couldn't we? And say at the moment, given the coronavirus world in which we're living in, and I do have a little bit of experience of this on local publications and knowledge of some other local news publications, very popular free sheet sort of magazine, although it was published in book form. Um, in the Lewis area called Viva Lewis. A friend of mine used to be the editor of it for some years and there was an equivalent called Viva Brighton in Brighton. And they were always rather good-looking magazines. They had beautiful arty covers, usually paintings and whatnot. And they were essentially listings magazines, but they would have sort of little articles in them. Some people collected them um, about four weeks into lockdown, went bust. Uh, just just yeah. no advertising couldn't keep it going and actually i do wonder if there is enough advertising at the moment to uh to keep it to keep to to maintain a new channel i must admit so i'd be interested i think the art uh, the answer to the second question is probably no to me which then might make the first question a non-runner but we'll pretend that the answer to two is yes <laughs> so that we can at least suggest the well, first I suppose question. it could be a yes if the persons uh, behind them i mean in the one case murdoch mm. Has got yes. very very deep pockets, so yeah. maybe they'll be able to sustain losses for a few years. Absolutely. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? And 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 taking a risk. So maybe yeah. it's that. In which case, I I have a slight. So looking at this report by Jim Waterson, who's the media media editor for the Guardian, hmm. um, I, there's something about this which part of it makes me think that Andrew Neil's got a point, and part of it 
worries me slightly. So this begins. Um, Andrew Neil has quit the BBC, and I think Andrew Neil, for all that he gets a lot of bashing, he can be extremely effective as, oh, a, yes. as a as a as a journalist and a, and a presenter. I mean, him on election night is incredible. I yeah. I am I, I can't help but like Andrew Neil, despite feeling sometimes that I shouldn't. But anyway, he's, he's on top of his brief always. He is. Yeah, that that is very true. That's a good way of putting it. So he's quit the BBC to launch a new right leaning opinionated rolling news channel uh, which aims to start broadcasting early next year as a rival to the public broadcaster and sky so to be fair it's not just after the bbc it is going after sky as well sky's sky's news coverage of which i think has is has improved immeasurably in yes, the last I couple of years very much um, agree GB News, which has drawn comparisons with Fox News, promises to serve, and this is my slight concern, the vast number of British people who feel undeserved and unheard by existing television news channels, explicitly pitching itself into the middle of the culture war. And they go on to talk about we will challenge robust balanced debates and a range of perspective on issues that affect everyone in the UK, not just those living in the London area. This is sounding very much like like bashing the liberal elite BBC, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, I'm a little bit concerned by this, uh, people feeling undeserved and unheard. I mean, I do hear quite a lot of regional accents on the BBC. I've seen reports in the last couple of days in the BBC from places like Birmingham and Manchester and, you know, sort of towns that are on lockdown, Leicester, and, and well, Leicester's a city, you know what I mean? I've seen them it pop up in some towns. Um I, it 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 feels a bit it feels a bit fash to me, Terence. It feels it Ooh. feels a little bit. Oh, I, I, I'm no. a little bit I'm a little bit concerned mm. about it. I, I, not necessarily that the thing itself is fash, but mm. I'm 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 starting to get a bit worried by this because I think all of the grifters are going to pop up on this channel, aren't they? And the interesting thing is, and someone made this. Um, it always makes me laugh, you know, the people that say they're un- unheard. I wish I could publish a Telegraph column going on about how no one listened to me and how I didn't have a platform. It seems that these people that are complaining that they don't have a platform that they're not listened to always do have a platform. I wonder if we are genuinely going to see Vox Pops on this GB News from people in the street, which we already see on the BBC, or are we simply going to see the same old Lawrence Fox style moaners moaning once again into a into a microphone about the fact that they haven't got a platform to moan, once again being on in a TV camera complaining that nobody ever sends a TV camera around to them. Um I someone said on Twitter and I think it's very interesting the only time that we ever hear about people like that awful Milo, whatever his name was, oh, and, gosh, yeah. and Tommy Robinson, or whatever he's called himself this week, and Katie Hopkins, the only time we hear about them and their vile views now that go beyond normal free speech, that go beyond and are absolutely hideous hideous things and they are just grifting and making money off the back of being truly hateful the only time that we hear about them now having been banned finally by facebook and twitter is that they've got no money and they're broke and i'm taking a big leap i'm sorry to interrupt you thank you taking a big leap to say that this is what gb news is going to be all about I'm, I'm i'm concerned Terence, I'm concerned about the phrasing that is being used. I really hope that I am wrong, and it is and it is just a slightly more salty version of Sky News. <laughs> I mean, if it is, then it will be interesting to see if there is a platform for it. But 
the pitching into the culture wars concerns me because mm. I I think that the culture wars are 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 starting a sort of a dialogue and a sort of a dialogue of division that that we've already been through a few decades ago and it ended extremely badly and unpleasantly for a particular race of people and I I find this really concerning I'm not saying that the BBC I mean we've talked about the BBC at length I'm not saying the BBC doesn't have issues I'm not saying that I haven't had issues with Sky in the, in the past but I am I'm really concerned about the direction of this simply because of the idea that oh well of course you know there are some people that aren't listened to don't think that's entirely fair i don't think you know i'm not saying that the bbc couldn't benefit from a broader range of commentators i'm not entirely convinced having seen you know some of the some of the the people that pop up on on spiked or unheard or whatever the hell it is the pe- people pop up in the spectator i don't see a particularly broad range of voices and views in that really i just see people whinging that they don't have a platform being given a platform to whinge that they don't have a platform the reason that they're known is that they've whinged on a platform in the first place. I, I'm, I'm not convinced by this, and I'm slightly troubled by its potential direction. Though, like you say, we don't know yet. Mm. We'll see what happens when it happens. But I, I, I will need to use my frowny emoji for this, Terence. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> um, I, I've got concerns about it. That's slightly different because yes. I, I just probably not as extreme as mine. But, no. but <laughs> go on. Sorry, <laughs> sir. Um. I feel it could be a bit of a pound shop thing because to do news mm. broadcasting properly, you can't do it on a tuppenny halfpenny yeah. budget. The BBC and to a slightly lesser degree Sky, who I couldn't agree with you more, is really up their game in the yes. last couple of years. It's an through some through some good quality hires, including Sam Ta- Sam Coates, who's yes. really taken to broadcast from the Times. He's really good. Also, I have to say my apologies to Kay Burley for probably having been quite rude about her on this podcast in the past. She's really shaped up into her own. And also oodles of time for Beth Rigby, who I think is totally a class act. So I think the Sky have really, really done well in the last few years. Now, the BBC and Sky, um, they have news correspondents around the world with expert Mm. knowledge of their area and other expert commentators across several fields based in the UK, you know, specialists. Areas. Yes. And I see uh, from the press releases that GB News hopes to create mm. 120 jobs, and it says including 100 jobs based in the UK. So ha- that leads me to ask how on earth are they going to cover major news stories from China, Australia, the Middle East, wherever? Um, I mean, now, maybe they just won't, and they will well, rely on relaying is... local channel footage from whatever hotspots. And yeah. But I can't help but wonder, I don't know, I've got no evidence for this, but I can't help but wonder if Andrew Neil is launching GB News to mm-hmm. shove two fingers up at the BBC that have led, he feels let him yes. down, rather than as a rationally considered new business medium. Mm, and it's interesting, I think that's a really good point. And again, that kind of feeds into my worry a little bit, that it won't. It will just peddle, you know, not very well informed stuff about Britain. It will shrink Britain's outlook even more and might further add, I think, to the rather depreciation of public debate and public life. And I don't know. I don't know if that's not a deliberate thing in some cases. I don't know. I'd I'd be interested to see what happens. But 
you know, I have some concerns. You have some concerns. Mine are possibly more cynical than yours, which, which you know, are, are, are you know. I just I don't understand. think Andrew Neil is the kind of um, chairman. I think he's chairman of this, mm. and so you know, essentially in charge of it. I don't think he's the kind of measured journalist who would. Imp- you know, run the Katie Hopkins hour every night between six well, and seven. It'll be, it we'll will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. You know, if it, it'll be interesting to see whether the principles remain when there's money, if there is yep. money to be made. I don't know, That's but um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, it, he does still have. Does he still have links with the Spectator? Yeah, he's chairman of the Spectator. Yeah, I don't that see that some of the stuff the Spectator runs is particularly. Some of it is not very well informed. I don't think. I am um, my my. Can I say something ha- very provocative, Jules? Go on. Is that because you don't agree with it? No, actually, I I there's some stuff in it that's really good, but I've found rather disappointingly that the Isabel Harmons and the Alec Matties that are excellent writers in the Spectators are increasingly drowned out by Delling Poles and Forsyths. So um, I, I, yeah, it's not my natural home. Having said that, there are writers. Someone once said about Isabel Hardman, Hardman talking to me about the new states that we both read. Oh, I wish she was one of ours. And I absolutely feel feel that about her. I think she's a superb journalist, and they have some good journalists. Uh, yeah, I, that there's others that are given a platform in there, which who I think are. Not great. Having said that, you could probably let it to be fair to you, Terence. I will take the point that you could probably level that at the new statesman as well. I don't know, but um, mm, I might. The Harris jury is out at the moment, but let's see what happens. <laughs> Coming right up, records that we thought were hits but weren't. <laughs> uh, that's right after this excellent single from Skyline. Oh, 
thrilling sound, I think. A, a single release from earlier this year by uh, this really good band from York um, in the north of England, Skylights and Enemies. Mm, no, I enjoyed that. Thank you for introducing me to that. I will definitely listen again. It's got great sort of energy to it, I think. Mm. Um, I don't know if this term is still relevant in 2020, but there used to be what were called radio hits mm. or turntable hits, songs that were always on the radio and felt like they were huge hit records, but in fact never got near the mm. charts at all. And an example of this in the UK was the track Juliet chose to close last week's episode, which was Helen Reddy's mm. I Am Woman, sadly, after Helen mm. Reddy had died. And um, had massive airplay in the UK, uh, but didn't ever make the chart over here, even on um, a re-release to cash in on the success of Angie Baby. And which, which is ironic, really, given that the, the song goes, I am woman, hear me roar in numbers too big to ignore. ignore. Well, apparently not, yes. Ignored her, yes. Uh, George, there's, there's quite a few examples of these hits that weren't hits. Mm, absolutely. Um, so interestingly, um, there are lots of famous songs that weren't released as singles. Uh, this was a particularly kind of 70s thing with bands like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin not wanting to detract from album sales. So I do sort of understand that. But songs that you'd think, you know, that we know, that, that the two of us would know, um, that you think were massive hits... Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. You really named him, so, wouldn't you? Yeah. The 500 greatest songs ever, Rolling Stones. It made, it made it into that. I think the original one rather than the new one that we discussed <laughs> the other week. But um, it was used in a Levi's advert at the time when that all but guaranteed a re-release yeah. hit. Um, Andrew Flintoff picked it on Desert Island Disc. That's a rather nice little well, fact, isn't it? There we but are. it's never made the UK charts. And of all the people that had the hit with it, it was the animals that had the hit with it in 1969, which I also would not have... Um, Gosh, I don't remember that at all. No, absolutely. It was a psychedelic version, I, I'm informed. <laughs> okay. um, I never loved a man the way that I love you. The title track from Aretha Franklin. Aretha. That was not. Uh, that was not a a hit either. It's well, rather not in here. It was in the US. It sold a million copies. It gave her the first top ten hit of her career and was one of her signature tunes. Did absolutely nothing over here. Um, but a month later, her covering Otis's "Respect" was rushed released and it got to number ten over here, etc., etc. Um, Moon Dance by Van Morrison again would have sworn that was top absolutely. 10 absolutely you hear it I mean, everyone yeah. knows that song don't they it was and again most of these are quite it just it, it goes to show that stuff that is massive in the US often does nothing over here and vice versa it was a 1967 um, top 10 hit in the US and actually it's been played more than 10 million times on the radio hence why we know it um it never made it into the uk top 75 mm. in 2013 off the back of download sales it got to number 60 and that was it but mm. um although having said this as the BBC put it somewhat dryly in this article, admittedly, the decision to delay its release until seven years after the album of the same name did not help its cause. No, I suspect no. not. Another radio hit that wasn't a hit over here in the UK, Cats in the Cradle by Harry oh, Chapin. Oh, Harry Chapin. That was always on the radio in the Absolutely. 70s. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Again, this I, I'm rather enjoying this BBC article, by the way. It's it's, it's taking, it's Colin Patterson article. It's taking rather a sort of a sideways look. It, he, he writes articles. He's as distractible as me, I think, because he goes on to say, 
This nostalgic ballad about a father's regret was a US number one in 1974 and once reduced Homer to tears on The Simpsons when it was used <laughs> as holding music on the neglectful father helpline. And you see, this is the kind of writing that I'm here for. Um, there was a, a, a cover version by Ugly Kid Joe, which made the UK top 10 in 1993. It oh, was Lord. inducted. It was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2011. His version, not the ugly kid. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was one of the original Never Have was being a hit in the UK. Mm-hmm. Burning Down the House by Talking Heads. Not a hit over here. Um, yeah, re- really strange, isn't it? How the, these it songs that, that are woven into, some of them are woven into the fabric of our life. I mean, Moondance to me, I mean, I'm not a Van Morrison fan in many ways, but Moondance is such a... You know, everyone knows that song. We've heard it. I've heard it so many times. Whatever, not, not ever actually having tried to hear that song. I don't dislike it. I've just never actually made an effort to hear it. It's always there. It's Neil Tennant's rule of pop and rule of pop success, which is the success of a record is inversely proportionate to the effort that you have to make in order <laughs> to hear it. So if you hear a record all the time without trying, if you go to, I say if you go to these places, I mean, I am unfortunately saying in the olden days at the moment, but if you go to a holiday resort, if you go to a supermarket, if you're getting a cab somewhere, listening to the radio, if you're going in a shop, if you're going in a bar, if you don't have to make an effort to hear a song and it is just everywhere, then that is a hit. And the the harder you have to dig out the song, the less likely it is it's going to be a hit. Because if something's a hit, then it has to be ubiquitous. Having said that, isn't it interesting that these songs were ubiquitous somewhere on the radio, yet Mm. people didn't buy them? Either because they weren't available to buy, or I don't know, people, what was it that that made people not want to buy those records? It's really strange, isn't it? It is interesting because presumably they... continued to be played on the radio not just because the disc jockeys love them but because they were popular but perhaps people just like listening to them on the radio it didn't actually want to go into a store and buy the seven inch single now those those um that category of uh, tracks that were on albums Mm. and it feels like they were hit singles but never had a single release i found a few of those during the week was david bowie's oh you pretty things uh, never a single stay away to heaven of course because as i think as Mm. you mentioned led zeppelin didn't release singles I was convinced that the Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter was a huge hit single, oh. never released as a single, which uh, uh, that really did surprise me. Mm. But just going back to the transatlantic divide, I found a few of those as well, uh, singles mm. that were they were released but weren't as successful as we rem- may remember in the UK. Um, or back the other way, in fact, because mm. um, the Who's My Generation, number two in the UK, only number 74 in the States. In fact, mm. the, the Who only had one top 10 hit in the States, and it was the most unlikely I can see for miles. Which that is, that is rather unlikely, isn't it? No yes, other top 10 hit. That. Yeah. Um, White Stripes, Seven Nation Army, number oh, seven in the UK. Huge. 76 in America. So it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? And or or, or as, as some young fans would now know that record, old yes, Jeremy, Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn. Yes. <laughs> and um, my final and I think biggest example is David Bowie. Um, very interesting one for, for, for the transatlantic differences. He hardly had a hit in the US until mm. fame in 1975, yes. by which time he'd had 13 top 40 singles in the UK and even after fame it's quite interesting to check the records on this because um his single success was sporadic in the states even even after that 
So, you know, I think if you had said to me, and I hadn't looked this up, and thought, well, you know, David Bowie, was he bigger in America than he was here? I would have said probably yes, um, even though he was, you know, huge mm. in England. But I would have thought his real fame was worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. But actually not. You know, it, 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 it seems they certainly didn't take to the singles in America. So it's so it, strange. It's an yeah. interesting um uh, topic this I think it's uh, well, yeah absolutely the only thing I would say in terms of radio hits and as you say people listening to songs on the radio not wanting to buy them there is such a thing as songs being overplayed now now yeah. remember when we had that conversation a, a little while ago now a few months ago I think about songs you would happily never hear again yes. and why and I think every single one I picked and I remember talking to a colleague about it and she agreed with me every single one of them was songs that have been overplayed in the 90s on the radio i never want to hear torn by natalie and Bruley again i never want to hear um anything i do i do it with you by brian adams i never want to hear love is all around me by wet 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 i never want to hear don't speak by no doubt i possibly don't want to hear get lucky again which makes me sad because i love it but i have heard them so many 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 times that I am just completely sick of them. And maybe you get to a saturation point where you hear a song on the radio, you think, oh, yeah, I really like that. And if you don't get around to buying it, it just just becomes synonymous with just hearing it all the time when you don't want to. I don't know if that is a thing, but it does does feel a little bit to me like um, like sometimes you can have too much of a good thing. And uh, there is such a thing as oversaturation, I think. Maybe some of those records suffer from that. I don't know. I've scribbled a couple down while you were saying it about your list. I've got Bohemian Rhapsody, Happily Never Hear That Again, and um, 10 CCs, I'm Not In Love, which I, mm. is a, I particularly rather like that, but I just yes. I just heard it too many, many times. Many times. And actually, my, my friends, who are a couple, have they said they have a list. There are certain songs that don't get... So they said their list is quite specific. It has to be songs that you liked in the first place. Yes. And then you don't want to... And then you don't need to hear again. Um, just simply because you have heard it too many times. And my friend said um, she was mentioned... She mentioned this because she was put on hold to You Get What You Give by the New Radicals. And she said, you know what song I never, ever need to hear again? You Get What You Give. I feel like it was on every half an hour during my GCSEs and it was never good. And she said the list of such... She said You Get What You Give is not on the list because I don't think I ever liked it. Um, and she said, you know, Insomnia by Faithless and Laid by James did make this list because there were songs that they had liked in the first place but have just heard so many times that they don't need to hear them again i might even put roll with it by oasis on my list mm. just simply because i heard it so many times and and yeah i'm not really sure i need to hear it again yeah somehow wonderwall seems to have come through that for me and i'm always glad to hear that so i'm not quite sure See, what i've, the I've scribbled down three um that i would you know, talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm not in love. Big, big, huge hits that I don't want to hear again. I've just scribbled down three while you were talking now. I've written Ain't Nobody by Chaka Khan, Good Vibrations, Beach Boys, Penny Lane, The Beatles. What, you never he- want to hear again? No, 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 the opposite. Oh, I, I could see. hear them every day for the rest of my life and still want to hear them the next day. Isn't so, you know, there's, there's a polar opposites yes. to... Uh, I mean, all, all and excellent choices NCC. yeah mm. absolutely and, and actually I was thinking the other day about the songs that I miss the most DJing because there are certain songs like you say that just always seem to be winners that people never seem to get tired of that, that seem to be songs that are full of joy and the songs that I've just scribbled down 
Let's Dance by David Bowie. Yes. People yeah. always are yeah. delighted to hit to see, they greet that yeah. record That's like sort of it's an old friend. Sort of exactly. Yes. And it, and it, it, it I have seen people vault over furniture to get on a dance floor <laughs> within the first four bars of 1999 by Prince. That yes, always good. seems to yeah. seems to fill people with bits sure. of joy. And uh, the other song that I have seen people punch the air once once the song kicks in and they know what it is this is this is the example and again i think we talked about intros in the past of not giving people too much in an intro and starting quietly and then kind of catching on fire as soon as cars by gary newman oh, the, drums, yes. the, the mm-hmm. snare hit comes in and it suddenly bursts into life i've seen people of all ages punch the air in, re- in response to that so maybe those are songs i don't know if they're right uh, we, we've wandered off topic a bit but i don't suppose anyone really minds at this point in lockdown today really it's uh, there's just something about there are certain songs that that just you know there are certain songs that have a that have a magic well, perhaps the link to this is, is that, you know, there are songs that have a magic in public life, which just it's goes to show, joy. Terrence, you it know, if cinemas joy. were to play those, then maybe they'd be all right. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening this week. It's lovely to have had you along. Yes, I, I echo the sentiments of, despite occasional bouts on this podcast, my friend Sir Terence. Thank you. <laughs> Now, Jules, when you're not marching in solidarity with football team <laughs> mascots, Absolutely. will you be with us on the radio this week? Well, I will not be with us on the radio this weekend. Regular listeners will know we've had a little bit of an enforced break from my radio show because of some technical issues, and we are spelling that with five S's, four H's, and several O's. But we will hopefully be returning on Sunday, the 18th of October, with smooth sailing. That is the current, um, the repairs to the yacht we are hoping will be finished by then, and we will be back at that point. So you have a weekend to think about all the things you'd like to hear and then hopefully I'll play them for you on the 18th of October. Splendid. Now, playing us out, a single from 1993 that actually came um, as marketing came with a free strip of bubblegum. Ah, you see, now you're you're full of good information, Aaron. You know, you are you are always there with me all the time, aren't you? God bless you. Um, I'm a huge fan of this band. I think again, regular listeners will know I'm a big fan of Stereo Lab, and Stereo Lab were always always quite a quirky band, both in their you know in their sounds, in their some of their ideas, their artwork, and also like you say, their uh, their cultural ephemera that they would give away with things. Well, we call it cultural ephemera. You could also call it tacky promotional tat. I mean, it depends which side of the fence you are on this. But yes, rather appropriately themed here. I bet that's worth a lot of money now, I suspect. I, I saw a Stereo Lab 48-piece jigsaw for sale <laughs> the other day that was worth something like £120, uh, for, which was a tiny. By, by 48 pieces, I mean sort of is about the size of the of my hand in total, <laughs> my hand span, I think oh, I worked okay. it out. And so, so, you know, it comes in at £3 a piece for that, I think. <laughs> oh. £120 is what, what they're roughly going for nowadays. Um, for, simply for scarcity rather than necessarily mm. actual value. I love Stereo Lab, but I'm not sure even I crave me would pay that for a stereo lab jigsaw the size of my hand anyway um <laughs> perhaps rather than focusing on the quirky artwork mm. items i love this song i just think it is it's such a song of joy i think it's like you say it sparks joy in me terence because mm. it it just drives it just drives and drives and drives for three and a bit minutes and then it stops and i love it and i love the fact that they sing in french and i i just 
Stereolab take me to, to two worlds. They take me to the 90s, which was, and they take me to the part of the 90s that was an enjoyably nuanced retro look at the 60s. And it's nice mm. to go to both those, but not not necessarily the kind of the brick poppy 60s, but to a more interesting part of the 60s. And, uh, and it just makes me want to put on my blue an orange cycle knitted cycle jersey that zips up in my corduroy trousers and dance along to this so uh, from the rather charmingly slash alarmingly titled album refried ectoplasm uh, this is stereolab and john cage bubblegum <laughs> listening to a Parish Council production.